Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution. We're going to need you to stay tuned as we parse through the weekly decisions being made by our political leaders that impact the Black community. Uh-huh. On this week's episode, we discuss some of the top headlines from the week of January 17th, including... Doug Ford's stay-at-home law, snatching up a mom seeking childcare. The beginning of the end of the Conservative Party of Canada as we know it. Rents in Toronto being down 20% while vacancy rates are at a 50-year high. Black folks and social justice top this year's McLean's Power List. The inauguration and day one of Biden's executive orders. A dangerous vaccine fallout in Norway and plenty more. To kick off our politics segment. Last week, we shared our concerns about Doug Ford's stay-at-home order while appreciating what it was meant to do and appreciating his very clear directive to police not to be overzealous. Turns out cops weren't listening. And for that matter, turns out Karens are still feeling bold as fuck. You might have heard the story of police giving an $880 ticket to a Simcoe mom last week after picking up her kids from their grandparents. And it all started because of a neighbor's complaint. You might know the story by now. Natasha Cole, who, by the way, is a stay-at-home mom due to COVID, had the kids while dad was out, but she wanted to get errands done. That, or she just wanted some time from the kids since it was her birthday, and that's totally fine too in my books. Anyway, I digress. She dropped her kids to Graham's house, ran her errands, and after picking her kids up, police pulled her over saying they had a neighbor complain about a lot of traffic at the house and a possible party. For context, Grandpa's home also had others living there, an uncle and said uncle's child. And as we know, or as we should all know by now, blended family households with multiple families or generations under one roof is completely normal. Yep. The cops asked if she lived at the home she just picked the kids up from, and because she didn't, she was given a ticket for failing to comply with the Reopening Ontario Act, a hefty one, as I told you. Grandpa got a ticket too, even though, one, the Reopening Ontario Act wasn't actually in effect yet. There were still a few hours left. Hmm. And two, even if the act was in place, police said they'd initially focus on education and warnings, of which she obviously received neither. Oh, almost forgot to mention, patients. Natasha's kids are mixed race. Grandpa's household is black. Oh. That's it, right? That's the secret sauce. All of the, all of the extra surveillance, right, that us Black folks have to deal with when we live in white communities. Like, why are you all up in, like, are you peeking out your window trying to see who's coming in and coming out? 
And by the way, can like the 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 multiple tickets thing is that a is that a common thing? Like, why did Grandpa get a ticket and then they went to go chase down Natasha? Isn't that kind of so accepted? It, it was actually so it was actually Natasha first, then they went back to Grandma. Wow. Yeah. Poor Grandpa. Oh my gosh. Well, um, for the record, according to Miss Cole, various paralegals have reached out to represent her for free. Good. Jumping to some massive, like monumental political news. Patients and all of our listeners who are keen on Canadian politics, I want you to mark January 18th in your calendars as a monumental day. Why? What happened? (laughs) That was the day the Conservative Party ended as we know it. What? Aaron O'Toole began the process to boot Derek Sloan from the party, claiming it was because he accepted donations from a known white supremacist. Right. This also came a day after O'Toole issued a statement trying to distance himself from Trumpism after fallout from the U.S. Capitol insurrection and declaring that under him, the conservatives will be a, quote, moderate, pragmatic, mainstream party and that there's no place for the far right in his party, Hmm. end quote. Right. Here's the thing. Paul Frum, the donor at the center of this, has been active in the party for years. In fact, he took part in the policy forums numerous times and up until this story's airing, had planned to attend the conservative policy retreat in March, which speaks to a larger reality within the party that I've spoken about before. 40% of conservative voters support Trump. By the way, that's in comparison to only 15% of Canadians overall. And 41% of conservative voters shared the belief that Trump's election was stolen from him. Oh, wow. Okay. And that's why the conservatives made the fake website claiming Trudeau was trying to steal the election, even though it obviously wasn't true. Did you see that, Patience? I did not. Yeah, it was It was all a spoof. So it was nothing at all. It was just meant to throw red meat to their base. Wow. But it happened in a time where people were not okay with it. And that 40% has a lot of clout within the party, too, because of the corporate and fascist money it brings in. And as the Toronto Star's Chantal Hébert points out, he who pays the piper gets to call the tune. Then there's the issue of Sloan himself. He's infamous for having country bumpkin views, like thinking being gay is a choice, or opposing the banning of conversion therapy, which we've spoken about on a prior episode as well. Sick. This is (laughs) Sick. This is also the same dude who claimed Dr. Theresa Tam, who was born in Hong Kong, but is a Canadian, was more loyal to China than Canada. Oh, my God. The caucasity. And just last month, he called the COVID vaccine, quote, human experimentation. So, look, all this to say, this is probably, because of O'Toole booting Sloan, this is probably going to lead to a mass exodus of that 40% from the Conservative Party. No, no, I, I feel like you have, I feel like you want to jump in. So what, what are your thoughts on this? You know, what, I, what I'm, what I'm really scared of is, is what we've been talking about on this podcast a couple of times is just because it's the end of the conservative party, it doesn't that mean that, that we're just going to end up with that maverick party that you were talking about, just gaining more steam. You are so I'm, correct. I, yeah, I'm, I'm actually kind of, I mean, this could be an opportunity for more people to actually align with 
what what they consider to be conservatism, which is perhaps some you know Christian values or some other like idea of conservatism and and moving away from conservatism equaling fascism or or equaling conservatism doesn't have to be hatred right conservatism could just be people who do not want the society to change as quickly right mm-hmm. and then liberals slightly more progressive and the ndp are supposed to be kind of our left wing party so mm-hmm. if we had more of a gradient I, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing so kicking out the fascists and kicking out the white supremacists to this maverick party could be an opportunity for millennials or more millennials to join the conservative party. That's one thing. But I'm really, I'm afraid of, of what kind of momentum the maverick party could gain if people like Sloan are empowered to, to like a leadership role. Uh, the thing about Aaron O'Toole that's kind of okay with me is that he doesn't seem to have a backbone which is fine because like that, that makes him uh, uh, like not as strong of a leader. And, and that's okay with me because I'm not going to vote conservative anyway. But if you have someone like Sloan, who's maybe going to be a little bit stronger and be more willing to, or be more able to motivate his base, I think that's how you end up with a Trump, right? You kind of have this person who's strong, incredibly wrong, but strong and they lead their own party. And then, you know, shit hits the fan. I don't know. What do you think? So there's a lot that I feel I have to unpack in there for myself. I think O'Toole does have a spine, to be honest. Okay. I think that he's, and this is, I don't, I don't know how to say this without, I don't necessarily want to make him sound good, but I want to be real, but it's complicated to be real. It's very complicated. Him doing this is a big fucking deal. 100%. As President Biden would say, it's a big fucking deal. Yeah. So that, that, that takes spine. But then you also look at the reality of his party, which is, I mean, I already pointed out, 40% mm-hmm. are still, are you know, 40% believe what Derek Sloan believes. And this, this wing of the party brings in a lot of money. So he's not going to have as strong a spine as he should to get rid of all of those people. Yeah. But notwithstanding that, it's happening now anyway. It's happening now anyway. I don't know. So listen, I, I was actually on the phone with one of my friends literally a minute after Aaron O'Toole posted it on Facebook because I saw it on my on my feed, right? Mm-hmm. I'm looking at this message and I, I, I said it to my friend who's also a political. We were like, holy fuck. Yeah. And within, you know, minutes, you eventually see you know, the, the most popular comments by people in or Aaron O'Toole's thread. And what are these comments saying? I can show it to you, patients. They're they're all saying you are not a real conservative. Oh, come on. Get the fuck out of here. I'm leaving the party, which goes back to what you already brought up, which is what I was going to bring up eventually. The conservatives have a real problem. They have the Maverick Party, which is a very real force in the West. And by the way, that's where the conservative party's base is. Right. And then they also have the PPC, which is based in the East, which isn't really getting much traction, but it could. Here's, here's the thing, Patience. Here, here's how I know this is the end of the Conservative Party. I, I used to be a conservative, as you know, and not just a shell of a supporter, but an actual intellectual conservative at that. Kind of sounds like an oxymoron. But anyway. I was going to say, are you you want to say that? Are you sure? Okay, sure. But, but actually, no, I, I, I can say that because there's people who blindly 
follow conservatism, but then there's the people who are actually understanding what what the uh, movement is all about. And I understood it to its core. Um, I also know the history of the party. The conservatives aren't an offshoot. but So the conservative party, as we know it, isn't an offshoot of the PCs, as many people think. The conservatives are a populist brainchild of Preston Manning, which people probably don't know much about it unless they're on the west side of the country, and Stephen Harper, launched because they believed the progressive conservative party was, quote, corrupt. Now, what do you think they meant in saying corrupt, Patience? I mean, the folks were teeth and money. Like, what do you mean? No, and that's what you would think, right? No. Yeah. So they make it about that, which is why even today you hear them talking loudly about ethics and whatnot. But what it really comes down to for them, patients, is the fact that they were willing to spend money, that's the PCs, were willing to spend money on social programs. Remember, public health care in that time was still fiercely fought over. Mm-hmm. They cared about the environment, remember. Mulroney is the first person who brought in the, the, the acid rate accord. Right. Right. And race issues. Corrupt. Because those aren't things they cared about, and they saw those issues as caving to an economic and social elite. Wow. Yeah. So in terms of where the party's going, the same thing that happened before, it's happening all over again. And so you were saying, well, you know, this is good for the country, no question. Mm -hmm. It's good for the conservative party. It's going to be really fucking painful for them in the interim. Mm-hmm. But it's good for them long term if they can if they can stick it out. But then you pointed out where do those where are those people going to go? Because those 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 deplorables, as we used to call them in the Trump times, right. yeah, they can go to Maverick, they can go to PBC. Jumping to the Canadian economy, Canadians are leaving big cities in droves. As a result. Rents are down 20% in Toronto, and our vacancy rate is at a 50-year high. We've been informing you of how COVID has helped a lot of renters, and we're happy to say that that trend continues. According to Urban Nation, rental apartments built in 2005 and after have shot up to 6%, that's 50% from just a year before, and average rents for said apartments have dropped 10% to just over $2,300 from the year before. It's even better news in the condo market. Condo listings hit a record high at the end of 2020, fueled by 46% more units seemingly popping up out of nowhere because of the mass exodus of workers returning to the suburbs and the collapse of immigration. For perspective, downtown markets saw rents drop as much as 17% then. Another study, this one by Padmapper, found rent for one-bedroom apartments in Toronto were down 20% in December, the biggest year-over-year drop in Canada. And some are even offering incentives. What do you think the incentives are, patients? I don't know. Two months rent free. Ooh. Like that's that's easily four thousand dollars. Are you dumb? So that's the downtown core. The suburbs didn't see as deep a drop in prices since many of the people leaving downtown were headed there, and there's lower rental stock there to begin with. Mm-hmm. Vacancy rates in the suburbs climbed to two percent from 0.8% the year before, and rents fell only two percent. To just over 2100. Vacancies expected to rise too, since the number of apartments built in Q4 of last year was the most built in 30 years. And in 2021, we're expecting 18 apartment projects, 15 in Toronto and three in the 905, 
totaling just under 5,000 units. And just to put into perspective as well, one of my friends just moved from Etobicoke to Liberty Village and got a beautiful OnePlus Den for $2,000. I know beer folks have been buying too. So we've said it before and we'll say it again. If you're looking for a place to live, now's the time to do your search. We jump from realty to literacy with some gloomier news. Nearly half of all Canadians struggle with literacy. I talked about this last week and I've been kind of talking about it over time. So this article is actually pretty timely. 49% of Canadians can't disregard irrelevant information when accurately answering questions about something they've read. So 49% of people can't summarize. I can't. I can't. I, 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 maybe I'm shielded from this. Like I, anyway, please continue. Honestly, like I'm somber because I, I'm somber because I'm trying to be very careful to not seem like I'm shitting on people. I, 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 I cannot, I, like we, and I know because we, we talk about the issues with the school system and I know not everyone stays in school until grade 12 and and graduates and, and all that. I, I understand that, I guess on a intellectual level, I just, I can't, I can't make that connection between staying in school and what you're saying about people not being able to summarize like, yeah a passage like well, that. Why, why, why don't I, why don't I continue with some of the facts here so you can have a, 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 a good picture, please. Right? So experts say it's because of the, uh, part of the reason is because of the abundance of jobs in the past that didn't require higher levels of reading, writing, or math. And those are the same jobs that are disappearing now because of automation. For context, Canada's results show that many in this country can't complete ordinary tasks like filling out a job application, reading an article, or writing an email. And where does this rank us in the world? We don't, uh, you know, I didn't really dive into the actual ranking, but here's some perspective. Here's a direct quote from Michael Burt, an economist at the Conference Board of Canada. He says, generally speaking, we're below average compared to other OECD countries. And the OECD is the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development States, basically a whole bunch of rich countries. So we are below average in terms of adult literacy and numeracy skills. Uh, Japan, Australia, Sweden, Finland, and Holland are just some countries that scored higher than us. To put into perspective why I add that to the list, uh, they all spend much more money on their social safety nets, don't they? Of course. This could render us uncompetitive on the world stage in a global economy, especially since a fifth of us are at risk of being automated out of the economy by 2030. And there's massive risk. There's risk to the economy, like I just said. If that one-fifth aren't participating in the economy, it makes them way more susceptible to radicalization. Just like we saw throughout Trump's presidency right up until January 6th. Of course. So how do we fix the problem? Education and training plays a part, yes. But, you know, what the article pointed out to me, Patience, is that the reality is these people who are, you know, they don't have these skill sets anymore. They once did when they were in high school, right? And so what it takes is us having our own internal drive, our own internal standards to say, listen, I should be reading more. I don't know about you, Patience. I do that every day. Yeah. It's a part of the mix. We have to have higher expectations of ourselves. We have to have higher expectations of others. That's what it comes down to. 
I mean, what do you think about? I that? I just I, I'm sorry. I'm still I'm still maybe swallowing this. Like I don't understand. Like we text now more than we've ever texted before. That's that requires maybe it doesn't require us like a high level of reading, but I feel like so much of the information I consume is by reading. So, but, but you're you're an academic. Yeah, I guess. Like we have to decouple ourselves yeah. from the majority, unfortunately. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely. I, I, I I'm, re- I'm really struggling here. Like I'm, yeah. I, I really am. And, and, and to your point, like I do, like I, I'm one of those people who still buy books. Like not yeah. books. Like I buy, and not audio books. Like I buy, like, like I bought yeah. uh, Promised Land by by Barack Obama, and I'm reading through it right now. Like I, I actually. So you're right. I, and I know that 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 part of me is quite archaic, ancient, whatever. But I no, like, sorry, I, I'm so sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. I, 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 I hate when people say that now, especially because it's like we've historically shit on people for doing the right things. Yeah, <laughs> we have to stop doing that. We, we I, I am done. I'm done like making fun or calling somebody old school or something because we're now realizing. And by the way, I was one of those people. Yeah. I was one of those people who would say, why are you reading a book? Yeah. When you could, when you can look on a Kindle or some shit, for example. Right. But we're now realizing why we've done a lot of the things that we've done historically. Case in point, we're realizing, I mean, look, me reading this story made me realize the importance of having structured education. Even though I know for me, I despise it. Interesting. And I used to be one of those people who would say, you don't need education. We don't need education on mass. Look, people want to go to school, let them go to school. Let entrepreneurs do their thing. No, we can't have that. Yeah, yeah. Because then we have an unequal footing of intelligence and it destabilizes an entire society. Yeah. Moving on to blackity black black news. This week, McLean's magazine released their power list, which is a list of 50 power brokers in Canada making huge change. And and in their top 20 were some black heavy hitters that I thought I should mention. At number eight was Sandy Hudson. Hudson co-founded the, the Toronto chapter of Black Lives Matter, which made headlines, of course, in 2016 for stopping the city's pride parade in the middle of the summer heat. Do you remember that, Curtis? I do. The reason why I want to highlight, McLean's highlighted it, but I really want to dig deep into this work because I remember going to work after that happened, after the Black Lives Matter stopped the the, the pride parade and, and came up with their list of demands. And I remember, you know, having conversations about whether or not that was appropriate. Mm-hmm. Same. And I remember a lot of people talking about, you know, this hierarchy of oppression, like gay people in, in Toronto are oppressed. Black people in Toronto are oppressed. Mm-hmm. Who, who gave you the right? Pardon? Oh, sorry. I, th- I thought you were going to ask who is more oppressed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who, yeah, who is more oppressed? Who gave you the right to stop our thing that we invited you to, mm-hmm. to, to, you know, to do this. And then fast forward to 2020, and like they have done, it's unprecedented all of the work that they've done mm-hmm. from 
all of the of the efforts that they've gone through um, sitting outside of, of the, the Toronto Police Headquarters, less publicized, but of even greater impact, uh, was the Black Lives Matter Toronto's role in canceling a program that placed police officers in Toronto's public schools, mm-hmm. which, like we spoke about last week with, with the young, the six-year-old who was handcuffed, is not a good thing to have police officers in in public schools, particularly in certain communities. Yeah. And the work that they did this year, or last year, I should say, in galvanizing and steering people in a certain direction to, to really supporting and talking about Black lives and, and what role they play, like Sandy Hudson and, and the team, right? Because she's, she's, not, she's not one person operating in this space, right. but it, it's, it's hard to do this work yes, and to do it for so long and to be hated for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the good news... In Sandy's case is that um, she certainly has seen redemption. BLM, as we know, has seen redemption. Yeah. I, I thought I would just kind of touch on how I felt when I first saw the parade. I, I remember in that time, like I was, so initially I said, this is a good move. It's the right move. But there were, and, and when I say the right move, it was the right move to stop the parade. Um, right. But there were people, because even by that time I was, I was very much cultivating my circle and, and making it more progressive. And even in that progressive circle, I mean, we're talking about people who are more progressive than me. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Right. There was a divide. So um, I remember this one friend in particular. Her argument was basically my, my brother is a cop. And she's black, obviously. My brother is a cop. Why are you going to tell him that he can't be in the parade in uniform? He's a good man, et cetera. Et cetera. Well, yeah. it's more than just your brother. <laughs> the limitations like come on like oh, come on come on but to be honest with you it's it's seeing people who especially at that time because like like, like yeah. i said she was more progressive than i was right or at least i thought i, I don't know so i was like hmm do, do i have the wrong position here do i know enough right. to be holding yeah. the position that mm-hmm. i'm holding Maybe maybe there's deeper shit to this, but no, there wasn't. There wasn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, I just wanted to put that out. Yeah, and and it's 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 tough, right? Because um, particular, I, I think that it, particularly in in a place like the city of Toronto in 2016, we weren't really able to have those conversations. Like, what happens when two groups who we consider to be highly marginalized and highly oppressed? 
are not agreeing with the way to address the the oppression. Um, and Black Lives Matter, in in I think all of its work in Toronto and outside of Toronto, has not been afraid to start that conversation. Agreed. Um, so big up to Sandy Hudson, number eight on that list. I think she should be higher, but hey, who am I? At number 16 is Wes Hall. Wes has been described as attacking racist systems starting at the top, really working to broaden who sits at the top, being just as much about retraining the rest of society to confront deeply ingrained anti-Black systemic racism as it is about, you know, making more room at, at the table. Have you heard about some of the, the, the good stuff that Wes Hall has been doing? Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, Wes, actually, I mean, I haven't spoken to him in a while, but um, he's a friend. I mean, I, I think he he kind of... So so I'm, I'm glad that he's a friend to you. He kind of came out of thin air for me. I was like, who is this really rich-looking CEO <laughs> who is, like, basically telling CE, telling other CEOs that... It, what they're doing is not enough and that there are like targets there are targets that should be met and that people should put their money or or do things um to to demonstrate their commitment and i know you know at at the company that i work for he has you know given his presentation you know he's 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 definitely on a circuit going province by province and he's not no offense to people who you know who are not CEOs like myself. He's not talking to people like me. He went straight to the board, like straight mm-hmm. to the board. And I think that's that's the kind of power brokerage that we haven't seen from Black people in Canada. Very few of us can do that. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And and you know, for for those who are unaware of Wes, the reason why Wes can do that is because like he has been known as one of Canada's top power brokers. I mean, to put into perspective, I think I've mentioned this on an episode or another before. Um, he was responsible for the, he's responsible for some of the best, the biggest mergers and acquisitions in North America. His company is. And an example of that is the merger between Burger King and Tim Hortons or CN Real. He, he's one of the most important people in Canada you've never known. Yeah, that's 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 a great uh, byline. Quite frankly, the only reason I know about him is because my dad, you know, being a, a, a prominent Jamaican himself, he's like, learn about these prominent Jamaicans who are living in Toronto. Interesting. He would tell me about West Hall. He would tell me about Michael Lee Chin. Ah. Right? That's, who, that's who he is, and that's why he has the air of corporate Canada. Mm-hmm. He's been in corporate Canada. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it's funny. So I, I did say that he's a friend. I, I, I don't think I should say that. I don't think that's accurate. The first time I came across Wes Hall, sorry, the first time I met Wes Hall, I remember I was with a friend at an event where he was speaking and we both, before he spoke, because of watching a, there was maybe a documentary that he put out, something, something that he put out, some piece of content, basically made him seem like he was one of those old school, more conservative black corporatists okay who say pull yourself up by your bootstraps yeah and if you just present yourself a certain way you'll have allies and sponsors that will help you get to the top right now i remember specifically that that was my perspective because that's literally how he presented himself in a global mail article and i was able to juxtapose that with hadia roderick's experience on on bay street mm-hmm. where she tried to be herself and she was obviously highly qualified, highly capable. Yeah. But they pushed her out. Right. 
And so I remember going to this event and being a little critical of him saying, yo, I want to ask him some questions. I want to see what he's all about for real, for real. Fair. Yeah. It was at that event in particular, my friend and I were like, huh, he's actually sound and reasonable. Okay. No. So it was literally that time, Patience, Mm -hmm. where things, where he started to be more black oriented, more progressive. And so it's funny. I don't know if you've seen some of his releases about black North Canada, but what he'll say sometimes is that, you know, this didn't start in the summertime and it's true. Black North, he invited me to that from 2019. Mm. This has been an ongoing thing. And this, look, it could, I may be saying too much here. This could be, this is either something that he cares deeply about, which I honestly think he does, or this is also a little bit of PR for him long-term. I mean, at the end of the day, for me, it's about output <laughs> outcomes, right? Okay. At the end of the day, people are recognizing that if they sign this this Black North Initiative pledge, which Wes Hall is kind of the face of, they have mm-hmm. to get a Black executive, which is kind of, sadly, unheard of in most of, of Canada's largest corporations. So even if if that gains Wes, you know, some some popularity or some kind of legacy or a couple of medals, I don't care. You are going to make sure that they that 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 we have some some collateral, you know, yeah. and something yeah. that that we I, I honestly didn't see happening this quickly. Um, I, I thought yep. this was going to take you know centuries, decades. Nope, the work's been adding up, and um, kind of like. Kind of like with what happened with uh, the Ministry of Education and Parents of Black Children, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because of the pandemic, because of George Floyd's murder, West Hall's initiatives were sped up. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we we can definitely be proud of him for that. It's interesting that he's number sixteen because I and I it's not that he shouldn't be. I think that he's he's behind Sandy for a reason because although he's a corporate magnate, a mm-hmm. Canadian corporate magnate. Mm-hmm. He's only just begun when it comes to racial inequities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Also on this list at number three is Joyce Eshaquan, who is resting in power right now as her pleas for help uh, right before she died in in Quebec in a Quebec hospital have sparked massive policy change in Quebec. So shout out to Joyce, although not black, definitely raised awareness in Quebec for anti-Indigenous sentiments and and huge social injustice in that in that province and across and across the country but certainly quebec kind of woke up a little bit after that that started to make headlines moving on to news from the world well some insurrection participants are getting let off the hook I already kind of spoke about this, but I just wanted to give a little, a couple more details. After a five-hour hearing, Richard Barnett, aka the man who put his dirty feet on Nancy Pelosi's desk, dirty stinking boy, he won permission to return home as he awaits trial on charges of entering the Capitol grounds with a stun gun, uh, and also being charged with disorderly conduct and theft. Of course, he, he's been given permission to return home and he will comfortably await trial um, until those uh, charges come up and um, they're, they're ready to discuss them. But moving past that, 
the inauguration happened, and I have a list of of my highlights, Curtis. I, I guess I can give you some some time to to kind of mention yours. Um, <laughs> Amanda Gorman, Amanda Gorman, really, I think, stole the show as a black woman and and the youngest poet to ever perform at a U.S. inauguration. She was captivating. She stole the show. I just want to say as a side note, I was watching the inauguration on Global News before I had to switch because Global News was talking through her poem, like through her entire performance. They were do- they were politically commentating over her entire performance. So shame on you, Global News. Anyway, Amanda Gorman really has kind of shot into stardom and it was beautiful to see that event really set aside quite a bit of time for Amanda Gorman and for um, the, the preacher who came from Delaware to support Biden. It was, it was really great to, to kind of see that focus on, on black bodies, on African-Americans, on, on people who are actually the, the descendants of slaves. I, I absolutely loved what she said at the end of her poem. She said, there is always light if only we're brave enough to see it, mm-hmm. if only we're brave enough to be it. Mm-hmm. That, that, that set my soul on fire, mm-hmm. man. So uh, shout outs to Miss Gorman. We also have our first ever second gentleman. To some, it might sound like a funny title, but part of having a Madam Vice President is having her man, her husband, be the second gentleman. This is the first time in 231 years, aka the first time ever, that we have had a second gentleman. And it's cool that he kind of already has a has a title, you know? Maybe one day we'll have a first gentleman as well. Mike Pence and Mitch McConnell attended the inauguration. We won't talk about who did not attend the inauguration, but Mike Pence and Mitch McConnell attended and uh, they stayed mad. That's, that's what I love about global news uh, is that they really zoomed in, <laughs> zoomed right in to Pence and McConnell whenever something was said uh, about... <laughs> Whenever something was said about hatred or about, you know, moving away from darkness. I'm laughing, patients, but it's really bad because, like, we know how good the media is at framing conflict and it actually makes us worse off. It does. It does. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And Pence, for for what I saw, did not clap the entire inauguration. (laughs) Like <laughs> refused to clap, but you know what? You have to give you have to give um, flowers where flowers are due. He did with his wife go onto the steps of of the Capitol and say goodbye and welcome you know Madam Vice President and the second gentleman into their new yeah. role. Yep. And that's yep. a critical handoff in the U.S. system that that photo op yep. that moment. So I like I have to give it to Pence for for doing that, and I have to give it to McConnell for showing up, you know. And we all know who else showed up: Bernie Sanders with those mittens. <laughs> well, I was gonna say, how do you feel about Ted Cruz showing up? Get out of here! The is- so here, here's the thing: like these these people are still going to to be uh, around and. 
maybe they become or, or they remain relevant if they they are going to critique no matter what, but maybe their critiques become more relevant if they're still being seen at like events of national significance like the inauguration. So I I I kind of see the play, um, I, the, which, which is again why I don't understand why Trump wouldn't be there because it would make him more significant if he showed up, uh, knowing that he doesn't have any social media platforms. The the news media is all he has. So th- that's my opinion on on Ted Cruz, McConnell, and and Pence. Although Pence, I give a little bit more to because Pence really didn't have to be there. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, any other, before I move on to the executive orders, any other kind of, um, big things that you wanted to mention with the inauguration? You know, Lady Gaga actually sang pretty, pretty damn well. Yeah. Um, so I remember hearing that she was going to sing the national anthem Mm -hmm. and I said to myself, why are they using a British native to sing the American anthem? But then I realized what the play was overall by having J-Lo there and uh, the overall theme, it's that no matter where you come from, mm. we're all Americans. Mm. That was the point. And I, I, when I realized that, I said, oh my God, that's actually really nice. Yeah. A real great departure from the last four years. Yeah. I also want to, the, the other thing I, I really loved is like, after the inauguration was over, the line up to speak to the Obamas, come on. A line. There were like ten, like there are ten like celebrities waiting to speak to the Obamas. Like, come on, Lady Gaga was waiting, J Lo was waiting. You know, our 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 newest celebrity Amanda Gorman was waiting. People like it's like like, people just want to be close. People just want to be like like how are you? How are you, Michelle? How are you, Barack? It's amazing. I want to feel the energy. Ah, so true to you know Biden's run for office. He, on his first day, his first day in office, he passed a a number of executive orders to wash away the darkness from the the, the last four years. So Wash away the sins. Wash away the sins, uh, you know, of, of the last four years. So first he rolled back President Trump's environmental actions. Uh, including the the biggest news, which was revoking the presidential permit granted to the Keystone XL pipeline. Mm -hmm. He rejoined the Paris Agreement, which is an international legally binding agreement on climate change. He preserved and fortified the protections for dreamers. So for those of you who who remember, we have spoken about DACA, I think, on this podcast. um, But basically, all of the children that come with um, undocumented immigrants into the country will no longer be kept in cages and, and left there with aluminum um, kind of blankets to keep them warm. There will be actual protections. So if I'm not mistaken, what they're also doing is they're now giving um, an eight year track to full citizenship. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Speaking of borders, another one of Biden's first day executive orders was the end of the Muslim immigration ban, which was bullshit to begin with, but um, still has to, he still has to end that officially, mm-hmm. or he still did end that officially. Uh, there were also lots of policy changes that are COVID-19 specific that he ended immediately. He extended the student loan pause until at least September 30th, 2021. He extended the eviction and foreclosure moratoriums until at least March 31st, 2021. With these two, I just want to highlight, these are things that 
don't we don't even have in Canada. So we we currently do not have a student loan pause that ended for us a couple months ago. And we also don't have an eviction and foreclosure moratorium. So the fact that Biden reinstated these things that we don't even have in Canada, which is supposed to be a social democracy, um, is, is a pretty big deal. So, yeah, you're definitely right. The uh, the moratorium ended in September. And and right now, uh, people like Jagmeet Singh are are calling for the moratorium, obviously, to be put back in place. Um, as well as various student groups. And that's probably why the NDP is surging ahead with millennials in particular right now. But anyway, um, what is in place right now is that you can call um, the loan service. And, uh, you know, first of all, if you're if you're currently making less than 25000 you basically don't have to pay anything right now. And you can basically set up a deferment plan, a, a, deferment, a deferred payment plan. So, you know, if you're if you're right now paying your student loans and you're you're feeling like you're underwater, please contact the loan service to to see if you can work something out because it's probably probably doable. Also, uh, on his first day back, Biden re-engaged with the World Health Organization and started to again participate in their executive board. And he launched a 100 days of masking challenge that will require masks and physical distancing in all federal buildings, on all federal lands, and by federal employees and contractors. Still, uh, that seems like it it wasn't enough. There are still some promises that folks are waiting uh, for the Biden-Harris administration to deliver on, including those $2,000 stimulus checks or what would be a $1,400 stimulus check to add to the $600 stimulus check that were already given out. Uh, They want to raise taxes on the rich through a 28% tax rate, which, by the way, is much lower than our tax rate on the super rich. Uh, In Canada, the uppermost bracket in Canada is taxed at 33% uh, in terms of income tax. Um, Also, a $15 federal minimum wage which would drastically change the United States of America if they had that. Um, I, I believe that that right now they're probably at close to half of that. And they made a promise to create 5 million new jobs, mostly in manufacturing and scientific innovation. Whether we're talking about Canada or the U.S. and the height of the tax rate as it currently is, it is peanuts compared to where it used to be. Mm. Mom was... Uh... The minimum was 70% on, on the highest earning individuals. 70%? Oh, yeah. That's actually that, – that's a, that's a really low minimum. We're talking about like 80 90% in some places. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and that's the reason why in those times we were able to actually have a solid middle class because there was true wealth redistribution. Right, right, right. And now more of it's going to the top 1%. Yeah. Vaccine fallouts are happening in Norway. So Norway is growing increasingly concerned about giving the vaccine to its most sick and elderly after six more deaths occurred, bringing the total to 29. These deaths also lower the age thought to be most at risk to 75 from 80. We don't quite know when deaths happened, but we do know that Norway has given at least one dose to about 42,000 people and has been focused on those most at risk of catching the virus, including seniors. It's, it's got Australia concerned. And according to Bloomberg, they're the third best country to contain the virus. So Australia's concern is credible. 
Yeah, I, I remember seeing this story and I was like, oh boy, this is this is gonna be this is gonna be a problem. There's gonna be people who are even more concerned about taking the vaccine now. It's gonna erase trust for a lot of folks. Oh boy. But I think what we have to remember here is that while the news is alarming, this only affects the super old and super sick. And so if you're neither, then this news isn't cause for concern, right? And then the second thing to consider is that the Norwegian health authorities, they knew beforehand that given the vaccine is super old and super sick, people would increase the chance of death. We we all knew this, right? Because of those underlying conditions. Those who died knew that too. And they still agreed to the vaccine. Yeah, I hear you. What's also true is that while the vaccine trials have had people from all age groups and all backgrounds, the average age of participants was 50. And so as countries vaccinate the most vulnerable first, i.e. those much older than 50, we may hear about more and more deaths. But again, they were to be expected. The Tigray crisis continues. A few months ago, we reported on the Tigray War, an ongoing armed conflict that began in November 2020 in the Tigray region of Ethiopia between the regional government led by the Tigray People's Liberation Front and forces supporting Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed, including President Asias Afwerki's Eritrean forces. According to folks who have family in the region, there's been a lockdown on social media and of the internet, making it really difficult for folks to communicate with their family or with the outside world. Millions in the Tigray region are in desperate need of food and humanitarian aid, so the UNHCR on Tuesday launched an urgent appeal for $156 million to help about 130,000 people affected by the ongoing violence in Tigray. Uh, a friend of mine is is doing an urgent push. I mean, we would talk about her before. Um, Eden Hagos from Black Foodie has asked for us to really spread the noise or, or spread the word on this and raise awareness of the ongoing violence because, um, you know, the, the word just really isn't getting out and people aren't talking enough about what's happening. Jumping to questions for the audience. So we told you about Natasha Cole's run-in with Karens and police. Have you had a similar experience during COVID? If so, let us know by shooting us a DM. We promise we'll read or listen to it. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We're releasing pods on a weekly basis, so subscribe to stay up to date. We now have our own Instagram page dedicated to the podcast. Follow us at The Drip TO. Black people, we hope that you know that this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Stephen Fissett, who graciously provided artwork for this podcast. If you like what you see, you can find him on Instagram at Scarborough Debutante. That's Scarborough, D-E-B-U-T-A-N-T-E for all your graphic design needs. See y'all next time. Thank you.